what clothing you're supposed to wear as a Christian, the garment of praise. And then we take on the armor of God and the shield of faith. But above all, we read last week, we are in verse, oh, around uh, 15, 14, put on love. And the whole put on in Christianity isn't being a hypocrite. It's actually putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Romans 13 tells us, uh, put on the Lord. It's actually using the terminology from wearing clothing. And to put on love and to put on these things we're reading about. But above all, put on love. Not, not, not necessarily feel love, though feeling love is a great thing. But did you notice that people fall in and out of love, don't they? You know, is that the basis of life, to fall? <laughs> or is it to stand? It's to stand in love, to choose love. And we prove it because Jesus said, love your enemies which has nothing to do with feeling like you fell in love with them or feeling like you fell out of love with them. It's about choosing to do to let God rule and reign in you. And our reliance is on the Holy Spirit, or we have no help there, because to walk in love and put on love is to walk in Christ. I love what J.I. Packer said, and if you say his initials, then he's even more important. <laughs> about a guy named Packer, who I am reading his, his book, uh, and have been for a while. This is a while back when I read it, but I wrote it down for such a day as today. When you look into God's wisdom, we see something of his mind. When we think of his power, we see the strength of his hand and his arm. When we consider his word, we learn about his mouth and his speaking. But now as we contemplate his love, we look into his heart. We shall stand on holy ground here. We need the grace of reverence that may, we may treat it without sin. You know, we don't, we don't look at God's love as, you know, just, hey, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> like lightweight thing. This is, what did it take for God's love to reach you? It took your Savior going to the cross. That's what it took. It took the miracle of Jesus' sacrifice for you. And, and another modern way, the book's probably a little, you know, a little older, but another thing that is said that I have found intriguing is, show me who you love, and I'll show you who you are. Speaking about the fact that God is no respecter of persons. You know, God didn't, I used your husband, Mary, at first service. I know that you're switching off today. I said, you know, did God choose Bill Bufkins because he's so handsome? He's a handsome guy. Did he choose him because he's so witty and wise? He's pretty witty and wise. He's such a good person, such a great guy, such an incredible orator. Bill does public speaking, teaching. Or did God choose him because of God's love and who he is? Now, Mary might have chosen him because... He was all those things, and, and, and out of deep love. But God chose each one of us, not based on who we are, but who he is. And he's picked the unlovely. No offense. But we're unlovely. In him. I mean, to him, we're, he died, Christ died for us while we were still in sin. Rebellion against him. That's ugly. Show me who you love. And I'll show you who you are. If you only love those who love you, or those who can add to your life the blessings that you're looking for, if you only love the beautiful, talented people who make you feel better, it just says how shallow I am. I'm shallow. Because it's all about what I can take from people. But when I love people, that Jesus said, when you have a feast, invite people that could never pay you back. People who could never, don't have the means, the ways to reciprocate. Pretty heavy, huh? 
that's a 70s term. Uh, okay, so God's no respecter of persons. And Ephesians and Colossians give similar words of instruction. In fact, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're not to just give a little bit of ear to God's word. Yeah, yeah, I already read that part, okay? (laughs) We've met people that said, well, I don't understand. Why do you keep reading the Bible? Haven't you been through it already? Uh, I remember a lady that came to a Bible study who ended up becoming, we found that she was a really great Christian, but somebody was telling her about uh, the book of Ruth and such. Uh, We're in the book of Ruth right now, and she said, oh, yeah, I, I already read that. Like, that's my reason not to come to study, which it's okay she didn't come to the study, but I don't think she was getting the point right then. It's not, well, I already read the book of Ruth, so I'll never have to read it again. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. The word of God is quick and powerful and alive uh, more than any two-edged sword, piercing between the thoughts and discerning between the thoughts and the intents of the heart and mind. I mean, God's word can speak to you any moment. It could be a verse you've read 50 times, 100 times, 500 times. But there's something he wants you to see that you haven't seen yet. Because it's, it's as shallow as the edge of the beach where a two-year-old can walk with their feet in the sand and a little bit of the water. And it's as deep as the bottom of the ocean and more where you could never get there. That's God's word. That's God's truth. And we're to be... Let it fill us and let it flood us and let it dwell in us richly. And we're to teach, instruct, warn, encourage each other. And in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 20, we have almost this identical verse, except it says, um, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks. So doesn't that sound almost the same? Be filled with the Spirit, and have these things happen. Be filled with God's Word, and these things happen. Well, which one is it? It is one. They are one. God's Spirit and God's Word are in total unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. So are these things. So is this understanding of the Holy Spirit working in you and the Word of God. And so these are the things that we lean on. These are the truths that we understand that we are to teach and admonish one another by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and those work as one. And, of course, it's on the cover of our bulletins, and we speak the truth in love. There's a diabolical agenda that exists to, to confuse mankind. It comes from Satan. You, you either try to have love without truth or truth without love, and neither one is what it says it is. Truth without love is not love. Excuse me. Truth, did anybody catch that? Truth without love is not truth. And love without truth is not love. You know, right now, you don't expect the media not to highlight the foaming at the mouth, so-called Christians that foam out rage and hatred uh, uh, towards other peoples, you know, gay community, etc., raging out. Yes, there was, they put it on the news, a guy that said, it's too, the, the tragedy was that more of them weren't killed. Now, that's, that's, he's not unique. He's not the only one. But they're a very small minority, and you could get blamed for that kind of talk. So what do you do? Never speak the truth about what we believe about moral issues and right or wrong? No. But pray for wisdom and grace and speak the truth in love. 
And that's been a, that was a challenge before last week or last month or last year. That's the challenge of Christianity all the time. All around us, people are dying apart from God, and they need the truth, and they need it in love. And it's a tall order, isn't it? It's bigger than us, but it's exactly where we need to go, by the grace of God. And God's not the author of confusion, but you'll be challenged as being hateful if you speak the truth, and you'll be challenged as being wimpy if you speak it in love. So just don't worry about it. Do what God gives you to do. And then this assumes, these verses assume that we are reading the Psalms and that we are singing. And by the way, when it says hymns, though we love the 16th, 17th, 18th century hymns, and we should, I know we didn't do any today, but we do those and we will do those and they're great. That's not what it's talking about because this was written in 65 to 70 AD before the 1700s ever came. It's talking about just spiritual songs, you know. By the way, we're, we do take the time to look at the words of our songs, and if you ever see something that's weird in the song that's, like, not biblical or godly, let us know. We, sometimes you can miss it because the tune's so good, but we try to really be careful that we're singing songs that speak of God's glory and grace and not just, this is how I feel and this is who I am and, and uh, you know, contrary to the clarity of Scripture. You know, so singing with grace in your hearts. You know, when grace is in your heart, a song will be on your lips. So it doesn't say sing with perfect pitch because I'd be in real trouble. They only let me lead worship because I can play the guitar and because I'm loud and bold. But if I didn't have the help up here, you guys would be in real trouble when I do worship because then I, you know, take a, a wrong path and I'll find it with my voice. But you know what's great? is we weren't called to sing with perfect pitch. That helps uh, singing. But we're called to sing with grace. For those of you who say, I don't sing. (laughs) Just a little thing for you to ponder. In the Old Testament, could a guy go up to the temple, to the courts of the temple, say, well, I'm not into blood sacrifices and animals. You know, I'm more into this or that or the other. How did that go over? You know, we're not here to say, hey, God, this is who I am. This is my approach, this is my style. But we're also here not to beat anybody, browbeat anybody into singing. Uh, let me suggest this, though. If you have trouble with singing, the, the, for one thing to do is to s- at least say the um, not. You may just do it in your mind while we have words up and we're singing a song. But I, I would say if you have trouble with singing, speak the words. Engage with what's happening right at that moment. Because what we're doing is we're collectively worshiping God and we're saying... Rick's personality and style and Mia's personality and style is not the issue here. The glory of God's the issue here. And by the way, for those of you who really sing a lot and you're going to nudge somebody next to you, there's probably other things. You can lift your hands all day and sway with the wind and just be very in the spirit. And you can also have things in your life that you're equally or even more so not obeying the Lord in. Is that true? So we're not here to, like, we glorify the ones who really get into worship and we dismiss the ones that are a little more sedate. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. But we're never going to avoid, I mean, never, by the grace of God, as he enables us, we're never going to avoid an issue because it's uncomfortable. Because that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody. So it's an issue. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, Make a path for yourself. Look forward. If you're a little slow in that area, 
ponder this because it's in the Word of God. We're called to love. Some of us are uncomfortable with just that, you know, soapy kind of love thought. Um, Called to love. We're called to um, sing. We're called to worship. We're called to do whatever we do in the name of Jesus, in the authority. That means in his authority. It doesn't mean that if you put that tag, Jesus' name, everything you said was good, everything you did was good. It means you're following the path of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the authority of Jesus in what you're doing. And what words and deeds might Paul be thinking of that we do, all these things that we do in the name of our Lord? Well, he's going to let us know, I think, by what we read next, which is really a great way in the Bible to learn. When you ask a question about a Bible verse, a great thing to do is to read the next verses or read the verses before it because you'll find there's usually a context of what's being said. So, verse 18, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, not just when they're looking, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And then he reiterates, that shows me that he's connecting these thoughts Watch this. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That this is an independent, different thoughts that are just coming into his mind. He said, uh, you know, whatever you do, do in word or deed, do it for the Lord. And then he goes through this kind of list. And he says, and remember, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and, and not to men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. And then, Paul doesn't say end of chapter 3. There's no such thing. That's added, right? So perhaps he thinks an an added thought to that list is, oh yeah, he who does wrong, or you serve the Lord Christ. Oh yeah, I didn't mention. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, there's enough here to offend everyone. And uh, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Jesus offended every culture, wherever you are. So, so do you think maybe Paul was saying the way to do things is in word or deed, to do it in your marriage, your family, your workplace, with your boss, with your relatives, with every relationship you have, just wherever your feet hit the road, that's where you're to do it. Because you know what is interesting is that what we do is fam- fam- <laughs> familiarity breeds contempt is not a Bible verse, but it is a truism. How You know, the people that you're closest to that you get real comfortable with, you also get really comfortable snapping at them. There are some in this room, I don't know who you are, I'm just saying some of us, let's just say all of us at one point. Um, when we talk about bringing the heat of God's word, we're not looking to find a person in the group to hammer. You know what I mean? That's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine pick out people. I pick out people for fun for those things, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to, you know, just for, for relatability, but not, not, I don't know who you are, what you're doing in the sense of in your personal life, and I wouldn't pick on you personally uh, from here. I would talk to you directly to you if I saw something in your life, and I would expect you to do the same to me. But, you go into the grocery store and the person behind the counter there does something kind of silly or stupid, 
in your eyes, you probably wouldn't say, why'd you do that? You're really stupid. Or why are you so doing such a stupid thing? You wouldn't do that. Most of you, I'm looking at your faces, and I'm thinking, I don't see somebody, you might on a bad day say something like that. That would be a really bad day for you, wouldn't it, if you actually said that? And some of you have never talked like that to anybody at the store, right? But, where is he going? Everybody knows. <laughs> because we're more alike than we are different. But you're at home with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your parents, with your brother, with your sister. You're at work with a coworker you work with all the time. You're at school with a friend. You see, that's, that's, hypocr- that's where we're, we are hypocrites, see. We're not intentionally so, but I mean, we, we, you know, you know, it isn't wrong that you like hold your tongue when you're at the store and be a Christian witness. That's not wrong. That's putting on Christ. That's a good thing. It's when you don't do it at home. That's wrong. It's when you don't do it with the people you're close to because you're so familiar with them that you feel free to be in their face in a negative way. If you need to say something to them, then you say something to them. And there's times, you know, here's the deal, though, is there's friction. I don't have friction with the person at the grocery store that I see once every three weeks or month. I can let that go. It's easy, but, but when it's a constant grind, <laughs> I'm not saying, honey, that there's a constant. There's, I'm trying to relate to these guys out here. They're, they need our help. When there's a constant friction, there's a difference, isn't there? So we're not going to pretend that's not real. But there is a way to deal with that. Now, so just in the whole context of these verses, well, I'm going to go through them a little bit, but in the context of these verses, it's that you know, love works no ill to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Put on Christ, put on love, and treat the people that you're closest to with dignity and respect at least the way you would somebody out at the grocery store. Does that make sense? Because the witness of, of, uh, of, of people bickering and putting each other down in harsh, mean-spirited manner is just, uh, it's not good. And everybody in this room knows that. And you don't control what the other person does, and you're never going to. And if you do, your thumb is going to get really tired because you're constantly controlling and you're unhappy because it's no fun. It looks like fun on some people. It seems like their goal in life is to control everybody around them. There are people like that. But it's really no fun because you're always tense and you're always uptight and you always got to make things be your way and they rarely go your way. <laughs> so you got to give it up if you want peace. And, and also you don't get to see God work because it's all you making it happen. And um, well, I see this with parents of adult children. Like they're 27 and you're still trying to put them under your thumb. Are you ever going to learn? Are you ever going to get a break in your heart? Are you ever going to let it go to God? That's just like a real scary thing. Because you'll, if you do control them, they don't know how to be a person on their own. You haven't trained them well. And if you don't control them and they go away from you, then you lose them because you've pushed them right out of your life. And I'm not trying to cause pain for anyone, but I talk about this periodically, and I will not shun to talk about it because it's healthy to face that, and to change. And you can. (laughs) And you you need to. If you're trying to control a 27-year-old, 
or a 35-year-old, it's time to give it up and start finding God's way. All right, so I probably made a few friends. Um, <laughs> I'm doing that all the time, by the way, making friends everywhere I go. It's when I go I make friends. They're happier when I... So anyway, uh, love does no ill to his neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Your husband is, wife. You know, uh, your goal is to lift him up and let him become the, the greatest that he be, can become. And so a man is not called to subjugate a woman. A husband is husband and wife. This is about husband and wife. A husband is not told to force his wife to submit. A wife, that's subjugation. That's where you oppress. A wife is told to come underneath like we're all told. Ephesians 5, again, a similar story in Ephesians 5 says, All of you! Everybody be subject one to another. Submission's a beautiful word because it's the word of Christ submitted to the Father for our sakes. And in Philippians 2, he came underneath us to lift us up. And that's what a wife who's loving her husband will do. And, it, and in that culture, that wasn't a difficult thing to say. Because back in most of history, men did subjugate and oppress women. So it was even harder to hear there because it was like, felt like it was confirming. But it wasn't. Confirming men's oppression, men are never to oppress women. What's a husband to do? Love his wife. And if you want the full picture, you go to Ephesians 5. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, in that culture, in that time, for a man to be told in that male-dominated world, you're to love your wife completely, sacrificially, give yourself up for her, sacrifice yourself for her. That was offensive. Do you understand? That was offensive to me. It wasn't like, oh, this is so cool, Christianity, I love this. It was like, what? <laughs> I'm the man, I'm in charge. No, 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 you're to love your wife and give yourself for as Christ loves the church. So you see, both of us are being spoken to deeply, uh, and for, it may be tough for both, but, but also for children. You know, um, first of all, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate them. Your children are the heritage of the Lord. Isn't that what the Bible says? Children are the heritage of the Lord. That means they belong to God. They're, he's got their future and the goal for them. And they are not mine. They're his. And they're a stewardship. And my goodness, in my life, I go, well, if, if you know, the new puppy is peppy. We mentioned it last week. This could get really old on you. But nonetheless, as for a picture... We take, as we do this guiding eyes thing, we take so much care to take care of the dog a certain way. How we let you pet them, how we let them do this, how we let... All this stuff because they're a stewardship. They're not ours. We have to turn them over someday. And if we've ruined them by doing it our way, what pleases us and makes it easy for us, we stop raising guiding eyes dogs because we've just wasted their thousands of dollars to breed these dogs that are healthy and trainable etc., we're in trouble. They'll take the dog away. Because a dog is a stewardship. I treat that dog way higher in the way I deal with them with much more conscientiousness. And I almost look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that with my kids. (laughs) I'm being facetious. I loved my children, and I did understand, and many of you do. Many of you are really good at this. You know, this isn't just beat you up day. Many of you are great at this. Is you, you have looked at your kids from day one, a stewardship from God. They're not mine. They're his. Every soul is mine, says the Lord. That should settle it. But your kids are not yours. They're God's. Now, your stewardship. Like, so I have a responsibility, Beth. I have a responsibility, David, to raise you in the ways of the Lord. You get to do whatever you choose when you choose, and kids do. 
grow up to be adults. And in history in the Bible, you have good parents who had kids that went awry, and you had bad parents that had kids that do great. And you won't be able to say it's just like this from that one verse that says, raise a child in the way you should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. There's a whole more understanding to that than just an automatic promise that everything's going to be smooth and groovy. Life can be hard, and people get to make their own choices. And you and I, just all we can do and what we must do is understand there is stewardship, a responsibility from God. And give, that will cause you to pray. That will cause you to honor God in your relationship with him. It will take you out of the mix from being so engaged that you go blind from, not blind, crazy. <laughs> being in the middle of everything so much that you can't take a step back and put them in God's hands. And I hope that makes sense to you because it's really scripture. They don't belong to me. They're, an ex- they, they're not, my kids aren't an extension of me and my hopes and dreams of being an athlete that I never got to fulfill. I forced them on my son or daughter or my hope of being some kind of star that I forced them to be a star. That's not the purpose of my parenting. Yes, let them be the best they can be, but let them find their own journey with God and let them be his and pray that they do become fully his. Children, you know, you get the commandment with the first commandment with promise was honor your father and mother because God knew it would be so stinking hard <laughs> to obey your parents and do what they, I mean, this, everybody gets hammered here, see? But, you know, children, you know, it pleases God. It blesses God when we submit to his leadership in our lives. And when you're in a family and you're a child and you do it uh, their way and let God lead in that, it allows you to come to them eventually with your own ideas and attitudes and you're probably going to be heard more. But, you know, not every parent's doing great. God doesn't say as long as they're doing great. He says, honor your father and mother, and children obey your parents. So you can see we're all being instructed to yield ourselves to God in the way of love and humility. And then even, even this far to slaves, and that was the word slaves. Bond servants were in a slave condition. Uh, the Roman Empire had at, at one point during this time, and somewhere in this journey, 60 million slaves. And it wasn't just the Roman government owned those slaves. It meant all through their empire, people owned slaves everywhere. So for Paul to stand up and say, you know, God hates slavery and wants you to set everybody free, his voice wasn't going to be heard. It wasn't God's plan that Paul would be the emancipator because he was the carrier of the gospel to declare to governments, you must let slaves go. What Paul did was taught everyone that you belong to God and what would happen through that? Slaves, not just when you're in front of their, your master or if you're, you know, now with us, bosses. Not just when your boss is watching. Uh, I'm sure that coworkers love it to see somebody who butters up the boss in their presence and then, you know, it's just bad. So, um, you know, uh, not just when they're looking, you work for the Lord. You are not relegated to slavery. You are not diminished and demeaned in God's eyes. There's no respect to persons. And God says, you're my servant. You belong to me. How liberating would that be for a slave? You weren't going to fix it, the 60 million, the day Paul wrote the book of Corinthians or Colossians. God wasn't going to use Paul to just break that chain in a day. How comforting, how strengthening, how helpful to a slave. 
to hear that I am equal with others. I belong to God and I serve him. It could challenge them. It could make them mad. Just like what I'm saying right now would make people furious. But they're not going to listen to the whole story. You might get to tell them the whole story. And the whole story is that they were to be this way. And then, and then Paul ends up writing to a guy named Philemon, who was a slave master that had a runaway named Onesimus, who got saved in Paul's presence. And Paul sends him back with a letter and says, By the way, Philemon, I led you to the Lord. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Treat Onesimus as a brother, even though a runaway slave could be killed. Welcome him back as a brother. You're co-heirs of the kingdom. Co-labor together. So what is God's goal and direction? We see it through Paul's writing. Is that slaves and masters let go of all of that and become servants of God. This is the point of the gospel. And so, um, you know, to make slavery go away... Could he have, is there a need for bloodshed? Has there been in our history, in America, and the Civil War, etc.? What I can say is this, the ultimate setting free of slavery, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have the Civil War or it didn't matter, it matters greatly. What I'm saying is the only ultimate way worldwide right now, because we still have it everywhere, all kinds, lots of places, and oppression that's just as bad as slavery is we need bloodshed. We need Christ's blood to wash over people's hearts. Chapter 4, verse 1 is unheard of. More than almost all the rest of it, you could say, well, the men saying you're to love your wife as Christ the church, that was really hard of in that time. Uh, These different things, you know, the slaves, how can you tell a slave that? But masters, give your bondservants what's just and fair. There was no such thing as just and fair. There was simply ownership in the Roman Empire. Masters, and he's writing to the Colossians under the Roman Empire. He's not writing to Jewish people in Israel. Okay? Masters, give your bondservants what's just and fair, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Wow. You're under the same management. You have a real master. That's who you belong to. And by the way, you, master, belong to the same God this guy that your servant, your slave, belongs to. You're both you're both equal. You have a master. So if he, he say, let him go, because there's a progression of what God's going to do. But he tells people in the situation they're in how to love God and honor God where they are. And he challenges every single one of them. You know, because there's a reward of inheritance, but, but the question that we as humans ask is, is the reward that's coming you know, for submitting to these things, because we're all called to submission in these things. Is the reward that we're waiting for really worth all the aggravation? <laughs> yes, is the answer. You're right. You, you got the answer correct. Um, the answer is yes, but let's think about it together. Is the reward worthy uh, of the aggravation? Well, uh, what if you were a middle manager for Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg? How you say his name? Zuckerberg. Um, you know, you work really hard for the uh, company, for the Zuckerberg burgers. Burger or Berg? Berg. Yeah, you're er. He's not er. So you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mark Zuckerberg is not going to share his billions of dollars with you, even if you work really hard at his company. Now, if you're a top manager, you might get like some portion of um, profit sharing. You could make millions and millions because he's worth billions and billions. We're not saying you couldn't do well, couldn't make money, but let me ask you, who are you going to work for? Who are you going to honor in your life that's going to make you a co-heir? You'll never find a better deal. See, instead of, well, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's, it is hard to submit yourself to the Lord, to honor God in all these relationships, and to allow people to sometimes mistreat you. We're not, I'm going to share with you, it doesn't mean that we just become a doormat everywhere we go as much as we can. No. But at the same time, who is going to honor you? Truly honor you with everything that they have. There's only one person. I mean, there may be some family member in your life that they probably don't have a whole lot. But God has everything. And he's sharing his kingdom with us, and we're co-heirs with Christ. In fact, in Matthew 25, when, they, when the Lord has the separation of the sheep and the goats, and I know there's different interpretations of who that is and how, but just this picture that's constantly painted, constantly painted by Jesus. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God is preparing a place for you, a kingdom for you, You are recipients and co-heirs with Christ. That's all the way through the New Testament. You know, and maybe we say, well, that's, I don't know if that's good enough. Well, you know, the thing is, we don't have to strive constantly to vie for position, get our justice, get our piece of the pie, not be a doormat for others. And I'm not saying, don't, I'm not saying we should be a doormat. In Corinthians 7, Paul says, are you a slave? Are you right now in some kind of servitude with a master? If you can gain your freedom somehow, go ahead and do it. Not meaning take a knife and slit his throat. But if there's a way for you to get done with that and get out of there, get your freedom and use it. But he goes on to say, all of you, it's the same kind of concept here. Wherever you are, however you receive the Lord, wherever you find yourself, walk with God. Walk with God and honor God in your life. Nobody can stop you from doing that. Nobody can keep you from that. It can be hard. Nobody's arguing that. But if you can gain your freedom, use it. He says, are you married? Don't try to get out of a marriage. Are you unmarried? Don't make getting married being your ultimate goal in life. Make Jesus your ultimate goal in life. So, and he, but he who does wrong will be rewarded. Those who are going to abuse and misuse will have a day of facing judgment. But your treasures are stored in heaven. So, we're not here to manipulate situations to our benefit. We're not here to control people in our families or close relationships so that we get everything we want. We're not here to be doormats and say, here, here's my head, step on it. We're here to follow Christ. And, you know, Jesus did say, the servant is not above his master. If they mistreated you, guys, gals, there's a slight chance that people will mistreat you. <laughs> if they mistreated me, what you think they might people might mistreat you? You have to have the bigger picture and you have to have this desire for God. 
You know, the desire for God has to kind of rise above other things. It's just the way it works. If it doesn't rise above other things, it will be covered by other things. Can you, I just want it to be as simple as it can be. If your desire for God doesn't rise above other things, what will happen to it? It will be covered by other things. Let me put it in another way. If your desire for God doesn't rise above other things, it will be buried under other things. It's a journey, no question. But that's the journey. And it's not going to change. This isn't talking. These verses I love. A friend of mine, a pastor friend, he went to a pastor's meeting. You know how we have pastor's meetings where guys, local guys get together for a breakfast or a lunch or a prayer meeting. And the guy leading the, he said a guy was leading this prayer meeting. He goes, and the guy's a great guy, you know, but, but we were sitting there and he goes, brothers, in this really spiritual voice, which I don't know what that is, but kind of like, brothers, let's go around the table here. Tell me, what is Spirituality. And he starts going around the table, and my friend thinks to himself, man, we need to go get real jobs. <laughs> He's a good friend because we think alike. You know, I mean, um, he didn't mean, I don't mean, I hope for some of you who really appreciate spiritual things, I'm not saying I don't appreciate spiritual things. But we don't, we don't, we don't float 10 feet above the ground. And just, you know, ooh and ah and om and fly and, and see light and colors and, you know, are, do you live that way? Do you live that way? Do you know anybody who really lives that way that you actually are willing to be around? <laughs> I don't mean, I, I, you know, I'm just doing the best I can. This could be sounding harsh. And, but he was, you know... We don't float 10 feet of the... We don't follow butterflies floating out into outer space and have our... You walk with one foot in front of the other. And God meets you where you're walking. God meets you in your troubles and your hardships and your pains. Read the Bible. Read the stories of the great men and women of God who walked and trudged through pain and hardship and life and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and you're getting tired of me saying it but you haven't read the story enough because if it's like when does this you know you can read 40 years in two pages in about you know a minute and 17 seconds but that didn't happen in their life in a minute and 17 seconds they waited and they waited and they waited, and they waited. And you know, we know. Yes, last I listened to last week's study, and I thought, was there a way for me not to talk about the culture, the culture, the culture so much? Because <laughs> my goal wasn't so much that as to help us see the purity of the gospel. And, and I'm not apologizing for the study. I think there was some good things that needed to be said. But I will say here. Uh, we definitely live in a culture. I'm sorry I'm going to say it. We live in a culture. I mean, waiting is like the last thing we want to do. Just watch. Just think about this and just observe life. Observe traffic. 
observe grocery stores, observe people waiting to get an answer from somebody about something, somebody trying to change the station on a TV. I mean, it's incredible. And, and, and I would say that that's what Eric and Lindsay Wilt, who, who used to be here, and then they had four kids when they moved away and came back, and all their kids have their little iPads, and they control that, and, and sometimes they have to take them away. They said, yeah, our kids don't have any idea what it means to wait. Like, we're going to wait and watch that movie when it comes out or whatever. They don't have any concept of that. It's all immediately in front of you. And, um, and so they have to, they have to like, take stuff away and say, well, no, we're going to wait. Well, why should we wait? Why should we wait? I'm pretty sure our children as a whole, I'm not saying all of you in this room, but I'm saying generally speaking, the idea of waiting is a foreign concept. It's like it, it came from another planet. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. It, and let me just say, it's not America, 2016, because we have iPads. It's man's nature historically. Nobody likes to wait on the Lord. <laughs> it's not natural to us. We want what we want when we want it. It's been around since the beginning. I want all that knowledge right now. The serpent said I could have it, and I want it now. So I'm really not talking about America. I'm just, there's a picture you can paint there. You could go out in the public here and watch today and see. And when you, when you see somebody who's really patient, what do you do? You admire them. You look at them and say, that person's like, cool. They're deep. They didn't get mad. They didn't get impatient. Unless they were in front of you and you were impatient. Hurry up and yell at them so we can get this going. <laughs> and maybe you got like that, but... So, so um, <laughs> he that does wrong will be rewarded. Those who turn away from God and, and, and harbor resentment against him and will not allow him to work in their life, they, they're going to have a reward too. But what a blessing that we are co-heirs with Christ and our treasures are stored in heaven. You know, the story's told as we close. And not continue to close, but actually close. <laughs> uh you know, the story's told of two brothers who had a farm in the Midwest. Their, fa- their father had uh, willed it to them. And they kind of got tired of farming, especially when the California gold rush happened in the 1860s. And they got this idea, we can do it. And they sold everything, went out to California, found a mine that had really, you know, good hope in it and had shown a little signs of gold. And they start digging, buying stuff, and pretty soon years go by. And they're there with no money left. And they've been digging out mountains of dirt outside. And they found such a small amount of gold that it's, you know, it didn't really pan out. Well, that's actually the... No, no. No, no. You're, mis- you're showing ignorance. That comes from panning. It didn't really pan out. So I'm actually just using the term that... Sorry, but you're, you're not keeping up. I'm a little disappointed. So it didn't, um, it didn't really, are you mad yet? Okay. It didn't really pan out. <laughs> Somebody listening, if they ever listen online, they say, you know, 
they're weird there, and he's not a very good teacher, but they do have fun. Yeah, they do have fun. You know, so anyway, it didn't really work. And uh, so the one guy one day, I'm so sick of this, me too, and he throws his shovel at the wall of dirt where they're digging. They come up the hill out there, just sit down and sit down, say, you know what, this is stupid. We just need to go back and start, you go to Uncle Lou's farm or whatever and, you know, get out of here. I'm just, this has been a bust. Yeah. Well, we better go get all our equipment because we're going to have to go to town and sell it to get tickets to get on a train to go back. And they go down, he picks up his shovel, they pick up the pick, and the guy, the shovel that he threw, picks it up and looks at the shovel and it's like sparkling. And then he, he goes down to where the shovel hit and there's this little sparkle. He goes, wait a minute, give me that pick. Bang, bang, boom. One of the largest veins ever found in California, these two brothers find. Uh, I'm told that story, haven't verified it completely, but it's a picture, isn't it? It just was one shovel away and in disgust he threw his shovel and, you know, he was almost there, he was going to quit. But, you know, people here today might say, yeah, yeah, great story, but what if, what, if I don't, what if I don't hit pay dirt? What if I don't hit pay dirt till the day I die? Well, I have a clear message for you. According to the scripture, you're already dead. And it's what we read two weeks ago. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There is no promise that everything will pan out just like you thought here. Sorry. Can't tell you absolutely certainly that everything you want to happen is going to happen. Who can tell you that? A liar can tell you that who wants your money can make the Bible say that, who wants your money. But a truth teller, a brother, a sister who loves you, will tell you the truth. In love, but they'll tell you the truth, that it might not go the way you thought. You might not strike gold in that sense till the day you see Jesus face to face. In another sense, though, your treasure in heaven that's being stored, your heart's already there, and if you're dead, you're also alive to God. And his spirit can fill you and flood you and empower you to walk the next step. And then, this is really exciting, the next step. This is even more exciting. And then the next step. But if I walk those steps with God and his presence in my life, there's a peace that surpasses understanding. There's a joy unspeakable, Paul said, and full of glory. A guy who got beat up everywhere he went. So it must be different than the way we see it. Because it is different than the way we see it. You're already dead and Christ is your life and, and he will say to you, well done. And it is worth, the, if you have to wait, then my job as your brother, your friend, and your pastor is to stand with you and help you wait. And your job as a brother, sister, parent, child, whoever, co-laborer, is to help other people wait on the Lord and look to him because he'll say to you one day well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things 
and I will make you ruler over much. What is that much? Just wait and see. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Let's stand, please. And thank you for your patience.